Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 94. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. I'm Leanne. And we should say happy International Women's Day as you're as you're listening to this today. This is actually Yay! yeah we we don't have a full we, the last two years we've actually had kind of episode that sort of touched on a, a topic there we don't we don't have that this year unfortunately but we didn't yeah, want to let it go by without acknowledging it. We've done women. <laughs> we've covered the complexity of women's issues in the sector yeah you know, in two episodes that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Um, well, one day, well, I mean, the, the goal still is one day we should get, you know, you know, the old Minister for Women on the show. One day. Really, really if we're going to tackle these ah. issues, we're going to have to get, you know, that, that wonderful Minister well, for Women in the, previous, in the previous government. He may be looking around for things to do after May, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a great interview coming up with you this week with uh, Laureate Professor Marilyn, Marilyn Flair, um, who is uh, talking to us about this amazing uh, app she's she's working on and some research around her conceptual play world. So really, really great listen. We really get into the details of some of those conversations. So I uh, hope everyone enjoys that. Um, we've got a, just a few things to chat about before then. Um, just a reminder that our Exploring the NQS series is continuing. So if you're a supporter of the show on Patreon, firstly, huge, huge thank you. So uh, it really uh, helps us do what we do uh, every single week, uh, you know, banter included. Uh, and we've just, uh, uh, the, the last Tuesday, we've just released the last element of Quality Area 2. So we're now two Quality Areas down. Um, I can't, but it's hard to believe I started this in November and it's still, uh, somehow I'm doing them every week. But Child it's Protection, fun. yeah, but Child Protection is now, it was a really interesting one to spend sort of 15 minutes on. I'm finding as I go along, it's very hard to cut myself down to 15 minutes on each of these topics. Once I get to Quality Area 5, Relationships with Children, I'm going to really struggle because there's some really amazing elements in there. But um, quality Area 1 and Quality Area 2 are now all done. Um, I'll be doing an overview of Quality Area 2 next week and then getting started on Quality Area 3. So thanks to everyone who is supporting the show and I hope you're enjoying those sort of little nuggets of episodes. Well and done, th- Liam. You're doing a great job on those. Oh, wonderful. It's, it's, it's good fun. It's good fun. Um, we should say we've actually got quite a few sort of... Um, we'll be appearing at conferences over the next little while, not necessarily doing early education show things, but um, I think we just like to put the word out there if, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we're not you know, strange, weird people. You can come up and say hello to us if you happen to be at any of those conferences. Excuse me. Excuse me, Liam. I think um, some of us are. Some of us are. Not naming anyone on the show, particularly <laughs> at the moment, Lisa. Um, but uh, I could probably selfishly start with myself because this is the closest one. On the... Uh, I think it's the 29th and 30th of March. I'll be in Perth for the uh, Early Childhood Learning and Development Conference with Child Australia. Um, they've actually been very, very nice to me. They're having me there for about four days. I think I'm doing a workshop the day before and then doing a panel and, uh, and a presentation. So getting a fair bit of use out of me at that time. And it's my first trip to Perth. Um, unfortunately, you two won't be there. We had a great time in Darwin together with Child Australia, but it'll just be me solo this time. So you won't have you know, the benefit of my... I- I'm sure you'll have a much better time without us. Um, I don't impossible. think so. Impossible. <laughs> that is, I agree. That's impossible. And you'll clearly be only one third of the man that you are. <laughs> exactly. Very, very true. Um, we'll also be at the uh, the, EL, the ELAA uh, conference, which is in May, I think. Lisa, isn't it? You, you've been doing a yes, lot of the organisation around that. But we'll be doing a, a live show. And, and I don't think we've sort of nailed down a topic yet. But um... uh, Yeah, we, we have. Oh, have we? Oh, I probably should have yeah. known that, shouldn't I? But never mind. That's May. That's ages. That's ages away. We don't have next yeah, week's episode prepared, let alone the the, the topic for for the the LA conference. Um, 
And then I think the only one would be the Social Justice and Early Childhood Conference. We're still sort of working out the details with that, with the, that amazing team there. But they seem to like what we did last year. So we'll when, probably, When's that, Liam? That's in July. Always in July, I think, Social Justice and Early Childhood. So we don't have you know, full details for that, but hopefully we'll have another um, great live episode to come out of that. So if you're attending any of those conferences, um, you know, please feel free to track us down and, and say hello. For sure. For sure. All right, but let's uh, let's wrap up the intro and let's cross over now to, to the interview uh, with Laurier Professor Marilyn Flair. Stay with us. All right, for those who have been listening to the podcast for the last couple of weeks, um, Leanne's been sharing her reflections from uh, the Ajax Symposium, and she was particularly excited by one of the presentations she saw there. And basically, I think... Uh, bailed Lisa and I up soon and said we have to have this person on the podcast and we're pretty excited this has happened pretty quickly. Uh, So we're very excited to welcome uh, Laureate Professor uh, Marilyn Flair to the podcast. Marilyn, welcome to the Early Education Show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, So Marilyn, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself and your background uh, and the current roles um, you you hold in the sector? Mm. Well, my background is that I was originally um, an early childhood teacher, so I graduated um, with that as my background and taught in childcare and preschool and then went on to do some um, advisory work in uh, in Western Australia a very long time ago (laughs) and and then from there became involved in research and did some really interesting work a very long time ago for colleagues in the Aboriginal education branch there and then moved to Canberra where I started my academic career and now I've wound up at Monash University and I've been here probably probably getting close to 20 years so quite a while now and um, and so my current role is professor of early childhood education but recently awarded the laureate fellowship from the Australian Research Council. We should say congratulations first, Marilyn. Yes. That's, um, that's wonderful news. Thank you so much. It's pretty, well, it's so exciting because early childhood education has never had um, a uh, laureate fellow before in Australia, so it's an absolute first. But what's even more exciting is that um, this is the only, this is the second only in education, and so that's wow, that's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it's really that's exciting. Fantastic. Yeah, so to think can that, you tell yeah. us a little bit about that, um, the fellowship? Because uh, I think if, if this is only the, well, obviously this is the first early childhood um, fellow and also only the second education. Obviously, it's got a very expansive history. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Sure. It's um, uh, the Laureate Fellowship Scheme um, is has been designed, it's been around for a while um, under different names and um And so it's been designed to, if you look at the objectives for it, it's designed to attract or retain outstanding researchers in Australia because of the the worry of people being scooped up and taken and, you know, looked to other countries. So keeping keeping the talent in Australia, if you like, um, but also... um, to promote uh, world-class research, groundbreaking research that's um, um, that positions Australia really strongly internationally, and uh, and 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 what I find particularly attractive is that the fellowship scheme 
um, is also about working with and mentoring the next generation of researchers. So, so they call it, you know, the the kind of training of of researchers for the future, and I and and forging links with industry and so on. So that's that's kind of the what it's for. It's such a uh, an honour to to receive it. But what's really really special is that there is another component to it. So that. Of the laureates, and there were 16 of us um, that were announced um, for this round uh, the, the end of uh, last year, and um, of the 16, um, what they do is they have one in the humanities, arts and social sciences, and one in the um, uh, sciences for special, um, an additional laureate a fellowship, if you like. And so what, the one that I also was awarded was the Kathleen Fitzpatrick Laureate Fellowship, and that's specifically an ambassadorial role to promote and support um, women in research. And I'm so excited by that. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's just wonderful because our whole sector, early childhood education, is is predominantly uh, women. And you know, to have to have the opportunity to develop that the research dimension and mentor others will be such an exciting activity for me for the next five years. <laughs> yeah, that's um, very exciting. Have you, I mean, I guess you haven't mapped out the next five years, but if you thought about how you're going to go about that, is there a particular way that you're required to do that or is, the, is it really that you undertake it in the way that you see fit? Uh, the um, part of the, the uh, process is that you have to have a, a, a programmatic um, study, so not just a small project, but a really big programmatic study. And um, and what I've um, been working on previously and leading up to this has been looking at the relations between play and learning and, um, and particularly in the area of STEM. And so this research that I'll be embarking upon um, looks at um, STEM learning in early childhood, but in kind of we have three pillars, pillars of pillars of research. And the first pillar is to really explore, you know, how infants and toddlers and preschoolers think in this space. So how does it develop and how does that kind of STEM thinking emerge, grow, develop over time? And, and why that's important is that most of the research that we can draw upon um, has come from either other countries. So, of course, this is Australian research, which is fabulous. So we're um, building a, a really good understanding of what, how young children's thinking um, develops and changes over time in this space. But also why it's important is that when you look at all of the curriculum, like the early years learning framework or the, um, the different um, cur- um, curriculum that have been developed through Australian research um, and, um, uh, and and the very Australian um, uh, curriculum, uh, that what what we often uh, use is is not necessarily being based on evidence from young children's thinking upwards. It's kind of a you know the best guess if you like. So so that's kind of one of the pillars, and this is where we think um, it'll be really important for Australia to put it on the map in terms of well, what are these young children thinking and. And that leads us to the second pillar, which is looking at how families um, create these wonderful um, ways in which to support, they support children with STEM thinking, if you like, and what do they do that inspires children and, you know, leads them to be, you know, the, the, 
the best scientists that we have in the world when they grow up, um, best technologists, the best um, engineers. So what is it that families do that support these um, wonderful young minds and nurture this um, uh, view of, of uh, STEM that you know, sees them taking it forward later in life. And then the third pillar, um, so you can see it's quite big, <laughs> the, third yes. pillar, <laughs> the third pillar is, um, um, which is also very exciting, is that we're looking at um, uh, building on basically 20 years of research that I've been doing over time in relation to STEM and play. And, um, and I've, I have a, a model of play that's called a conceptual play world, uh, which supports early childhood STEM. But um, what we don't have is a model of practice that we've tested as an evidence-based model around Australia. So we have evidence that this model works, but we don't know under what conditions and in what context it will work. Because it's such, it's such a new area. I mean, people haven't been writing or thinking about engineering in, in early childhood, for instance, before. Not a lot, a little bit around, but not a lot. And a lot of the research, the problem we've had is that a lot of the research that's been available to early childhood educators in Australia and, and internationally has primarily been undertaken in primary school settings or even secondary. And we know that very young children think and act and play in unique ways and that the, the educators who work with them are so passionate and have such strengths in play-based programs and such strengths in observing children and understand child development. But what they've never had available to them is a model of, of teaching of STEM that has been that's come from Australian research and, and has been based on research that's been done in play-based settings. Only what we've had is school-based settings. So, so this is what we're hoping will come from this research is that we'll take what we've already known that works and look at how educators can make that model, their conceptual play world model, their own, uh, building on their strengths of being experts in play and children's development. So this is kind of a bit of a first for Australia. And I'm, big. I'm and big. Sorry. <laughs> Marilyn, I'm not an educator and I'm sure other people are following this, but can you just tell me what a conceptual play world is or a conceptual play lab is? I'm yes, missing that. I <laughs> That's, I, I, absolutely. And um, the, um, the the conceptual play lab is the, is the space that um, we're, we're um, undertaking this, um, bringing the group together. So we've, we have, um, so think of it as like the research space, like a big think tank. Um, where people are um, uh, in our team are um, uh, going to be doing this kind of work in terms of the thinking and then analysing of the, the various pillars of research that I just mentioned. So looking at the data and analysing it and discussing it and, and so on. So that's the, that's the play lab, the conceptual play lab. So it's, that's just the space. But the conceptual play world is actually a model of practice. So it's something that uh, an early childhood educator can take um, and use as a planning tool. So, for instance, um, what I have developed from my previous research, which is part of what we're taking forward, is that I have an app 
and on the and it's free. And um, so I encourage everybody to um, to find it. So it's just if if people want to just search for it as some um, conceptual play world or Flair's conceptual play world, it will come up. And it's free. And at the moment, it's only available for iPhones. But we are currently working together with the Faculty of Engineering to have it put on on the Android platform. So, but it is free. And what's great about this app is that it has videos in it as like a professional tool for educators and policy people, um, also for available for um, um, professional development um, groups and so on, academics and other university has has a video in it which describes. Um, through practices, good quality practices, what is a conceptual play world. And basically what it is, and it has a planning model that goes with it, so you can step yourself through it as you're planning for it. But basically what it is is, is it's, a, uh, it's a tool that will help teachers, early childhood educators in childcare and preschool who want to um, enrich their programs to have more thinkers in the STEM area with their children. And what they do is they they choose a story that they really love and they take the story and they think what might be a, a problem situation that could emerge from the story that could lend itself to solving or going on a journey together with the children in this imaginary play situation and in that imaginary play situation, um, problems emerge that they have to solve. And when they solve, when they go through the process of trying to solve the problem to enrich their play, then they need concepts to help them. So they might need some engineering concepts because they want to create a bridge in order to um, to trick the troll, or if or it could be a bridge for you know moving into another imaginary situation so so they they need some engineering principles to support them to be able to do that and so the the play world the conceptual play world is a is a way of teachers early childhood educators and children together going into these imaginary play situations and using concepts to help them enrich their play and through that through that they're building their imagination they're developing um, imaginary thinking. They are creating solutions to problems. So they might imagine something and then they create it and test it out. And um, and they have these play narratives where, you know, the children together um, go on these journeys and, and um, solve these problems. So it's a, it's a really a nice way to draw on teachers, early childhood teachers, uh, educators' strengths of play, of literature, and then drawing on the concepts of uh, of STEM to enrich that play and make it more exciting. So is this, uh, I imagine that everybody's done the same as me, Liam and Lisa have done the same as me and downloaded that app right now. Is yeah, that correct? Yeah. So we've, we've, just, we've just all done that. So now we have the, we have um, the Fleur's con- conceptual play world or whatever it is that, that is the app. So is that something that could be, I mean, you're saying that the early childhood um Teaching is the foundation for this, so that's an important component. Is that there's got to be a grasp of of um, early childhood education and and development. So could could teams of educators use this app together in their professional development? I would love it if they did that because together they can support each other. And in, in our previous work, that's how teams worked. And so so the app gives 
one example of how they might do that. But when you go into the app a little further, so that's what I was describing was the video to show the play world in action. And the example that's on the app is uh, the story of Charlotte's Web and the educator, the early childhood educator, Rebecca and Oriana, worked as a team um, to um, create the imaginary world of, of Charlotte's Web. And so, so they had to plan together to do that and um, and they use the tool to then work with the um, the teachers in the early years of school in their particular setting because they're a part of a, a, um, a school as well and they use the tool together and they worked out and they they um, chose another story but they use the tool um, by looking at the videos looking at the steps of you know choosing a story that's engaging and exciting that children and teachers love and then setting up the imaginary situation. Um, so with Charlotte's Web uh, going out to the Zuckerman's farm and um, and meeting Charlotte and, and so on, or trying to find Charlotte in the first instance, looking for webs and trying to find Charlotte. So, and then problem situations arise that they have to solve. So every, so it's not just a, a quick go in, it's a planning, mm. planning tool where you might say, we could do this every day, for one week, or we could do it once a week for 10 weeks, or we could do it less, or we could just do it once off, just have a, um, a simpler, uh, less complex story, such as Rosie's Walk, for instance, where you go onto a farm and you have a particular play plot that you reenact. And um, but you can create problems there, and um, for children to solve, even in something very simple, and it can happen in one morning. So it's really the tool does that. Yeah. But it also um, gives the, uh, the second layer of it is that it means that the educators can also, if they want to, and this is what we hope they will do, is use the tool for the kind of work that they do already, such as when they make observations of children. And we're encouraging people to be thinking about the tool to capture imagination in play moments and imagination in STEM moments. So when something really interesting happens, they can actually, we have a, a continuous capture record button on it that will go for 30 seconds or they can just record it like they would normally if they were using um, using a smartphone to document um, an observation, for instance. And then we what we've done is we've created in the app the ability for the uh, educators to select the video clips to put into like a... Um, a, a, um, a crumb across the top of the of the device, and and they can press press a particular video clip of a, of an imagination and play moment that they might want to write something about, and the tool will allow them to make some brief comments about what happened before, what the video clip was about, and what happened afterwards, and then it becomes a valuable tool for further planning for the educators. So we think it'll be really useful for that purpose. But we also are very keen to use it uh, as part of our own um, research, and that's the third layer where um, where those that are interested to come and join our conceptual play lab uh, may want to um, participate in some research around creating these imaginary play worlds based on their choice of, of children's book. And they can capture these exciting moments. And then we would use it um, with, with together with them as a basis for going and interviewing them about what they've captured so that they can tell us what was really important about how they taught 
um, science, engineering and technologies in their early childhood setting uh, using play as the vehicle. So, so it has the, facil- has the ability for use for researchers, but, of course, it's in its own right. It's, it's a fabulous planning and yeah. an evaluation tool for the teachers to use in their own way because mm. anything they capture on it stays on that device. It doesn't go anywhere else, so they control it. It's, you know, all of the things that people worry about in terms of things, you know, going out more broadly, that just doesn't, won't happen. It's locked into their device. It doesn't go anywhere else. So it's a good tool from that point of view. Yeah, and I, I just want to ask you about, I mean, from what I'm hearing, imagination is key to this. So that's the that that's really this imaginative play world that you're talking about getting into. Can you talk a little bit about this imagination component? Because I've seen it come up through your research and in your writing, and and you're looking at that as this key to the learning of, of STEM? Yes, absolutely. And that's what's new and fresh about the research that we've that I've done in the past and that I'm taking forward is that if think of like this, um, if we're thinking about um, play and we're thinking um, imagination within play, so imaginary play, and a good example of of how that is so similar to learning is as follows. So if you take a child who is imagining their they're riding a horse so they take us take just a piece of wood and they they jump on it and they run around the room and they make noises and and you know start interacting with other children as though they're riding a horse what what they've done is they've created this imaginary situation and uh, what they've done that's very very important is that they've change the meaning of that little piece of wood that they've picked up or that stick so it's no longer what they can see a stick um, it's now imagined as a horse and as researchers or as early childhood educators or as mums and dads and grandparents, we would, or even policy people, would look at this example and would say that behaviour is suggesting that this child is in an imaginary situation. Their behaviours would suggest that, that they're imagining that they're riding a horse. And um, if we then say what is it? about learning that really matters, if we take the perspective that imagination is foundational to thinking abstractly and learning how to read and write and do mathematics and so on, um, if we take that as the premise, then we can say that a child who takes a stick and looks at it and imagines it as a ruler or even takes a ruler and imagines the, the concept of measurement, which is a really big idea in mathematics and it's a human invention it just it's not out in nature we've developed this it's a cultural uh, tool that we've developed to do all sorts of exciting things in our lives and so this is something that just doesn't come from within the child this is something that we we help children learn about and so if they take the stick and it becomes the ruler and they can imagine they can imagine um, the measurement process or they measure something Um, because they want to move something through a doorway, for instance, then they don't have to pick the door, don't need to pick up the table and try and push it through the door to see if it'll fit. They can go, oh, I think I'll just measure it and see if it'll fit through the doorway. Now, that's a powerful um, way of using concepts. It's not learning a concept by rote. It's actually learning about a powerful mathematical concept called measurement and using it in everyday life. And what we know from our research is that 
when you develop children's imagination, you also are, in, as you can see through that example, you're also developing their capacity to be thinking abstractly, imaginatively, abstractly and creatively. And um, so this is the kind of synergy and that's why um, it's the, the play and the imaginary play in early childhood is so foundational and so important um, for learning and, um, and that's what our work has has sought to do in the past and that we're taking further forward to see where that will take us with these with this conceptual play um, model that we've developed. Mm. So do you think play's been hijacked a little bit along the way? <laughs> Always a very lovely question. Um, you know, I looked at, um, I worked with a colleague called Bert Van Oers from the Netherlands, um, who's also, who is a play expert, play research researcher uh, in um, for the school-aged area. And we looked at what was happening internationally in the sort of loosely the countries in the Northern Hemisphere and loosely the countries in the Southern Hemisphere. And what we found was that there was the same problem. So, so whether you call it hijacking or you call it something else, but what we found was that people were worried about the relationship between play and learning. And, um, and from loosely, shall we say, in some countries in the Northern Hemisphere, they called it things like schoolification or they, uh, the academicization of early childhood. They were really worried that we were losing play um, within our early childhood settings. Now, then we had the same problem emerging in uh, loosely the, um, say, the Asia-Pacific region, the sort of more southern hemisphere, sort of southern America and so on, where, where people were saying, saying we want our, the graduates from our schools to be creative and innovative and, you know, really turned on to, you know, all these amazing things. And so you see things like in Hong Kong, um, the introduction of the, um, the playful curriculum. And so there is this focus in um, uh, trying to make uh, the programs, early childhood programs, a little more playful and a little more engaging. So, but the central problem is the same. What is this relationship between play and learning? Because if we don't sort that out um, and build a um, build models of practice, then we can't solve these problems that people are worried about. So, the hijacking, as you say, um, uh, but but flipped over the trying to make more formal curriculum more playful in other countries is also as big a worry. So, but together, you know, we've, we've got something here in Australia that which I think we can, um, through this research, that we can take forward so we can help and or we can support early childhood educators with the important work that they do, regardless of which country that they're in and regardless of whether they're having the push down of the curriculum to be more formal or whether they've got the opposite, which is we want to make this formal curriculum more playful, but we're not quite sure how to do it. You're listening to The Early Education Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more about this episode and all of the previous episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. It is just amazing to sit in here listening to this stuff, Marilyn. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's really incredible work. You know, one of my questions was actually... Um, 
around the use of the app. So I think in, in this sector, we've really fallen into the trouble. When we think of apps, we think of these products for families that sort of, um, and I, I've, I've written and talked about this before that we're to the point where people are sick of me talking about it, which is, you know, that they're, um, they're, they're, they're just these kind of almost social networks for children's time at the centre. And I, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about how that actually shifts families' views about what early education is. But we don't have a lot of apps that are focused on you know, educators, supporting educators to do their work. Well, we, in, in going through that process of developing the app and, and, and now it being sort of out there in the field, what, what's your view on how we're sort of using technology in the sector? It's a fantastic question. And I think um, there has, um, and you've probably talked about this as well, but there's, there's tended to be this kind of um, um, sort of moral panic around the use of, or, or even around screen time, and we see that comes up quite regularly in the media. Um, yes. <laughs> so, but I think the big question is, well, what do we mean by it? So so when you're talking about the app, so what is it that we really mean by it? And so perhaps it, I'll just illustrate one little example of um, uh, that I think casts a different perspective on it. And um, when I went back to my um hometown where I grew up on a farm in Western Australia into a kindergarten that um, I returned to it to work with one of the early childhood educators there. Um, at, this was organised through Monash University as, as part of as part of sort of creating a little documentary on, on, on where I started and where I am now. And, um, and so I went back into the kindergarten um, and I worked with the early childhood educator and, and she was just, Belinda is her name, and she's just delightful. She just, she just said, please, can you show us what this looks like and um, this conceptual play and um, and so I use the, the story of Rosie's Walk. And I, I'm sharing this with you because it gets to the heart of what, when we think about the use of apps or the use of, you know, screen time and so on. And what I did was um, I read the story. The story was already familiar to the children, which was great. And so part of reading the story um, of Rosie the hen going around the farmyard, um, and then I had some little puppets and things, and we put them out, and the children recreated on the floor in the, in the middle of a circle. Um, they recreated the, the scene of Rosie going round and the fox trying to catch Rosie and so on. So if you can imagine that kind of setting. And then what we did was we then went out into the play area outside um, to um, to look at, um, you know, we pretended we were on in, uh, you know, Rosie's farm and we did all of that. And then we came back in. And as we came back in, because we were all noisy and excited because it had all been bees or we'd been foxes or whatever, we sat down together as a group. And, and I just picked up my phone, uh, which I have, of course, pre-recorded a message on, and said, oh, while we were out on Rosie's farm, Rosie's cousin has left us a message on the phone. And um, so I played the message to the children and it was, you know, sort of, bawk, 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 bawk. Oh, you know, it's Rosie's cousin here and I, I want to come and visit, but I'm lost. I need some help. So setting up a little bit of a problem. And so, so that's sort of, you know, one example of using um, um, just the, a device in an everyday way that's very familiar to children and setting up a problem. And then I, we, what we did was we, we talked about the need to how could we help how could we help Rosie? And so, so of course, mapping, you know, could we create a map? But what did we know about maps? So, of course, Google Maps is really useful <laughs> to have a look. You can look at Google Maps and you can see not just um, 
you know, um, Australia, not just in where I was in Western Australia, right down to the little country town called Mount Barker where I went to school, right down to the kindergarten, right down to the um, to the play area that we just visit. So there is another example of actually doing that. And then, of course, during the course of the morning when we were engaged in a lot of um, free play activities and using blocks and various other things, as children encountered structures where children were wanting to, you know, with the blocks do certain things, I would just say, well, let's just have a look. We'll have a, do a quick YouTube on um, uh, uh, how engineers actually solve that problem. And, of course, there's lots of things that you can find very quickly in that way. And so children look at this, you know, look like two or three children together looking at this so um, and going, oh, this is really interesting, and then, you know, exploring how they can strengthen their bridge or, you know, the structures that they were making to support support. Rosie um, and Rosie's cousin. So, so here is just um, a little vignette of how you seamlessly can introduce just what's already on a basic um, iPhone, <laughs> if you like, or an Android, if you have that. So, so um, I think I think the moral panic um, can be really important if you have a, a particular view of how you use these devices. But if you think about it as seamlessly as we use already in everyday life, in the way I just described in an educational setting, then there isn't really a moral panic associated with that. So I think it's, and early childhood educators are smart, usually women, smart women, you know, highly educated, who, who can make really good calls on how effectively to use devices and, and of course, advise families. And I'm sure, you know, the families that would be listening to this um, podcast probably have lots of examples where they've done exactly that when, you know, they're looking at recipes or at the restaurant trying to work out what this sauce is that they're going to put on, you know, what does it look like, what does it taste like before we order and so on. So there are these everyday situations that actually that these tools can actually um, can really support young children in new ways that didn't happen when when I was growing up as a child because they didn't exist. So that that's the that's using the technology in the way that's a very integrated way and obviously the people who are involved in that are, you know, the integral to that experience. I think one yes. of the things, um, yeah, and that, that's that's really about people, um, you know, having that agency over the technology and directing it as well. But what about things like, I think maybe um, Liam has written extensively on, on programming apps, for example, where... Educators, educators spend a lot of time recording information that is then sent to parents or they have access to and it's almost like a kind of, you know, Facebook for for the centre and it's always sharing information. And I guess that's a diversion from the sort of play and interaction mm. that you're even talking about there. It's so interesting. It's almost like deja vu for me. I can recall when I first became an academic in Canberra, Liam, you'll be interested to know. And um, and I can remember way back then, that was a while ago, that I had this really deep and meaningful discussion with the early childhood director of the, the centre that, um, that I had a lot to do with. And she, this is before apps, this is before digital tools and so on, um, and she, she did exactly what you were describing um, that, Liam, you've written about, where um, um, educators spend hours and hours and hours writing down what children are doing. And, and I know from different, from, you know, c contemporary context, fast forward now, um, 
contemporary context where people do spend a long time creating beautiful uh, presentations of documents that they share with families. Um, for me, I know from the research what actually matters is the quality teacher-child interaction moments. And so if an educator spends a lot of time documenting um, and maybe some tools are useful um, that can document more quickly, like this app could, uh, for instance, you know, with 30-second grabs and just a minimum of text, um, that's one approach and could be very useful for um, reducing, the, um, reducing the amount of time that teachers spend after hours collating all this information. But also, I guess, in the situ moments, um, it's very much about having, having the quality moments with the children. So if, if the tools are being used in the way that I was describing, then they can enrich the imaginary play of the children because it's about looking at concepts, access through tools to, to deepen the play. The, the concepts are in service of the children's play and the educator is key for that. We know from the research that that quality interaction really, really matters. So I guess, yeah, go on. Marilyn, I can, I can see that and I can imagine it happening, but like one of the examples you gave of an educator, you know, Googling to see how an engineer would solve something, mm. that just kind of like I can't imagine it, almost any educator I know being able to do that quickly. And so it would I think it would kind of take them away for 10 minutes. When you do it, you know what you're looking for and how to find that stuff. But educators don't tend to be wonderfully fast at Googling thing, or at least, you know, educators of a certain age group aren't. And I, I think that, like, is your bias because that's the world that you live in? <laughs> Are you imagining that educators would be able to do this easily? Well, perhaps I can say if my family was sitting, my own family was sitting here with me, they'd be saying, <laughs> Mum, you're the worst person on using technology. <laughs> um, we know. And um, and so so I often think if I can do it, most people can have a go at, get at it as well. Um, but of course, I suppose it just depends. I mean, I'm just I just used that example I gave was just me in having in my pocket my iPhone, just pulled it out, and um, and all I did was just quickly just enter in you know bridge structures and up it came, and um, and I could you know of course checked it quickly myself and then show them but it wasn't 10 minutes it was it was almost instantaneous uh, because it was kind of part of the free flow because from there I then worked with another group of children and I didn't use my phone in any way because it wasn't necessary in fact I handed my phone to the four-year-old and, and asked her if she'd like to do some documenting of what was going on, and, which she did. She went off and um, took little video clips and photographs and then came back and showed me and, and then, you know, it was a big discussion that emerged from what she had done. So um, I guess I, I, I totally get what you're saying and maybe, maybe it's kind of like it's a... Um, if people want to think about it as as a sort of a like a series of stepping stones, so you know it may be that it may be that just one part of what they feel comfortable with doing in their own personal lives is using their personal device 
to search for certain types of information. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the, all they do. I think and, that's what I'm kind of talking about is, in fact, not the, the use of the device to search for information, but the background knowledge of STEM that would enable them to quickly find that. Like yeah. if I'd watched children playing with blocks, there's no way I would have thought bridge structures. That, yeah, like that's a level of engineering knowledge that I don't have. But maybe it's about engaging imagination as well there from a, an educator's point of view or creativity or whatever. Like I think that the it's, it's about people finding things because that's the first thing they think of. I mean, I often sort of refer to myself as the idiot savant of Google because all I do is just, <laughs> I just Google what's in my head, you know, and, and then people in my family go about all these intricate ways and I've usually found the information first. Mm. And so it's sometimes I think, you know, sorry for talking about your expert subject matter here, Marilyn, but sometimes <laughs> it's about engaging that creative thinking around what you're searching for. Or, you know, and, and looking at what children are doing and then just going in with that search of what you're thinking about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, actually. And and really to, to just not be frightened to just have a go because if it doesn't come up, and, and, you know, some of the research I've done with some early childhood educators where, you know, they've, they've been using YouTube and it hasn't necessarily come up um, exactly what they expected, and so it can it can be you know it can can be a bit tricky, but you know just for instance if I go back to the example of the Rosie's walk, my preparation for for doing that all morning activities the the very small um, uh, conceptual play uh, world that I did uh, in Mount Barker with Belinda, all I all my preparation was more like you were describing thinking through creatively about actually. How, how can you take the storybook and think about turning that into an opportunity for expanding the story so you just don't leave it with the story as it is? And, of course, you should have stories which you leave as it is. But every now and then you might want to really deepen the story and live the story with the children. And so I knew these children were in a rural community, so I had already put up on my phone I had available, so that was part of my research, I, I looked for fox sounds so that, because I didn't know what foxes sounded like, but I, I thought they probably would, uh, but they might not either. And so I had I had fox sounds, which I also introduced um, to the children when we were discussing foxes and, um, you know, what sort of fox was this and, you know, what were the chickens and so on. And so, you know, it was actually quite interesting. The children were really engaged and started, you know, acting like foxes and mimicking their behaviours and the sounds and similarly with the chickens. And But, I mean, the preparation was was not huge but I think it's just a just give it a go um, if you're an early childhood educator that feels a little nervous about it you know just think about how do you, to how do I personally use this tool and can I just stretch it a little further and use it as a tool in my teaching in the moment and you don't always need and see this is the thing that's I've often uh, we know from the research is that early childhood educators and primary teachers for that matter are often positioned as thinking that they're not that they're not confident or competent to teach in STEM and um, and yet we know that um, that the reason that this is often the case is because they haven't had the right tools. So the toolkit 
as, as I mentioned at the beginning of this um, podcast, the toolkit that has been available to them has primarily been built and researched in contexts that are not play-based. So, of course, it's hard work for an early childhood educator to use a model of teaching, STEM, that's never been designed for play-based settings. And that's why the conceptual play worlds actually creates that. And you don't have to use the apps. It, that's and you don't have to use even the digital device in any way at all. The play world is the story and the imagination and the, the tool can be used by some teachers who who want to draw and find out information like me, you know, introducing fox sounds or putting, a, a, you know, just putting a, a little memo of, of me leaving a message um, pretending I was uh, Rosie's cousin. Just little things like that, which is not that hard to do. But if it was, it wouldn't matter. You wouldn't need to do that. You could do something different. You just have a letter that, you know, we found this letter that was left. Um, or if educators are using email regularly and they feel confident with that and the children know about emails or, you know, I've, the teacher can even just print off something and say, I've this email arrived this morning from Rosie's cousin, <laughs> you know, you know, and deepen the problem. So it's it's a matter of – so I think – I think it's a matter of saying, well, what is it that we as educators feel really comfortable with and can we use some of that to enrich what we do with young children? And if 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 the comfort zone is around books, which are primarily, you know, the research in early childhood education is, early childhood educators are amazing with reading stories, telling stories, creating drama. They're just brilliant at it. And if if we just open the space a little bit more for solving problems that need concepts, um, STEM concepts, and they can be really, really minor, they, you know, small things. Like with Rosie's Walk, the concepts there were around mapping, um, were around a planned view, looking, you know, Google Maps, but you can draw a picture. You don't have to use Google Maps. You can ask children to imagine if they were a bird flying over their play, play yard what would it look like when they were looking down on the climbing frame and can they draw a picture of it? So so it's just a matter of thinking about those types of things which when children progress from drawing something from a front view to a plan view, it opens up a new space for them because it's so much easier to communicate through drawing when you've got um, plan view and front view orientation in your drawing. So that's just so one example. Is, mm. Yeah, and this is the difference that that mm. early childhood educators that may, you know that that's the I guess the point of difference between educators in early childhood and in in other other spheres of education is the imagination, the creativity is really heightened. So maybe that's the challenge for our listeners this week is to reflect on all of the wonderful places that they are using their imagination, their creativity and, and in the concepts of, um, of STEM and thinking about some of the using the Play Lab app uh, the Play Lab app this week as well and thinking about that. So if people are wanting to keep in touch with the project as it goes along, Marilyn, what's the best way that they can do that? Oh, I would love it if they could follow me on Twitter because um, I'm going to be putting out lots of little announcements all of the time in the process of setting up a Facebook and we have a website and the website is really just now for the launch but we will be the website will release research over time and suitable for educators and suitable for um, policy makers and other academics 
Uh, Twitter is kind of like little messages, and I'm also putting on there little little sort of teasers, if you like, play play world starters and teasers to to get people thinking in this space. And just little things um, to get them thinking about how girls can can be more active in STEM, how we can position girls to um, uh, to be thinking as engineers just by the language we use or things we might do. And also with um, Facebook, um, the, the plan there after the launch will be that we'll, um, we'll have lots of great examples of play worlds as as inspiration for educators to to look at and say oh, I'd like to give that a go so it's the it's those three mediums the twitter the website and facebook fantastic and i can see that liam is going to put those um up on the episode notes as well so everybody will be able to follow you and and keep in touch with it just one question that i forgot to ask you are following the same group of children over the 5 years is that right we hope to, yes, right. um, and um, so we want to follow the infants as they become toddlers, as they become preschoolers, and also we we hope that we can also follow one cohort at least into school before the end of the five years. We think that'll be amazing. We have an example of yeah. a play world in a school already. We did a pilot on that and we know it'll work. Um, so we're, um, we're hoping that... Um, following the children but also working with teachers in the different parts of um, early years is something that we um, will we'll build over the five years as well. And this will be the first of its kind in this kind of study of children in their play over five years, won't it? This is groundbreaking, mm-hmm. international mm-hmm. magic. It is, and that's Australian research, isn't that exciting? Yeah. Something to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> absolutely fantastic. But we will... We'll be watching this um, with a keen eye. Hopefully, we'll still be around in five years. (laughs) Mm. I hope so too. (laughs) Uh, Well, I hope to be able to give you some updates as we go along so perhaps your um, listeners can uh, can tune in at different times and and I can share little snapshots of what what we've been doing. Yeah, that will that would be fantastic, and um, to keep in touch and and talk with you along the way, that would be excellent. Thank you so much. It was lovely to have you on, Mel. Thank you very much for your time. And let's urge all of our listeners to follow Marowan on Twitter because we do have a lot of Twitter listeners. So it's just at Marowan Flair. Perfect. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Thanks again to Associate Associate, no, sorry, Laureate Professor Marilyn Flair for that um, wonderful interview. She's um, a really passionate advocate for this um, th- this research she's doing, and um, I think we'll definitely take her up on offer to have her back uh, at giving a bit of an update, and you know, hopefully talking with maybe some some of the educators she's working with on this space. For sure. For sure. But um, that's it for this week. We will be back next week. Uh, but until then, it's goodbye from me. And from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyeduShow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username Early Edu Show. 
If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.